0: Hi, this is Kate Luzio, founder and CEO of Luminary, New York's premier collaboration space for women who are passionate about professional development and expanding their networks. Welcome to Come Sit at Our Table, our Be A Luminary podcast. During our podcast, we'll speak to luminous leaders, exploring how they're inviting others to their table and exemplifying luminary behavior in their personal and professional lives. We welcome you to listen and come sit at our table. So uh, welcome to Come Sit at Our Table, our Be A Luminary podcast. Uh, This is Kate Luzzi. I'm the founder and CEO of Luminary. And today we have Sandra Campos, who is the CEO of DVF, otherwise known as Diane von Furstenberg. Uh, We had Sandra in our speaker series earlier this fall, and people were so excited to hear from her. So we decided to bring her back. And she's now on our podcast. So welcome, Sandra. Thank you. Thanks so much, Kate. No, this is great. And um, we had such a great conversation um, a month or two ago. And I think one of the, the biggest part of feedback that we got was around your journey and how it's pivoted. You've spent a lot of years running big you know, fashion companies and running big brands. You took some time to be an entrepreneur now running DVF. So it'd be great to hear just a little bit about how you've sort of packed up your stuff, moved to New York and started it all.
1: <laughs> I was very open during that day in your, <laughs> in your office, that's for sure. So I uh yeah, so you know, I think that if anything, my story really starts because I was I grew up in Texas and I was very interested always in creative fashion in a way and it had to do with everything from interiors to clothing. And It was really only there were two options. It was go to New York or go to L.A. And I got a job offer in both. And I just kind of flipped a coin and I said, okay, I'm going to New York, never having been here. So my journey definitely started with a very naive Texan who wanted to be in the fashion industry, but really had never really read Vogue or any other major fashion magazine. I just knew that I liked creative outlets and colors and prints and fabrics and other things that I was always playing around with. So my process really is to come to New York to start to learn it all. And when before I actually moved to New York, I had uh, one of my internships was pattern making because I went to school. It really focused on marketing and then fashion, which was fashion merchandising at the time. And I hated pattern making. (laughs) So I didn't want to do that. I was not going to be a designer, which is what my original intent was. But I wanted to learn the industry. Started in sales, and I started with big companies who really forced me to understand the consumer. And spent many years through various companies understanding the customer, the customer's needs. What I all over the United States initially literally from small places to big places and you know small stores to big stores really understanding what people are looking for and being out there and at the time I also had I had three jobs when I first moved here for my first few years because I was also when they first moved to the big city I have a a very entry-level position so I was fortunate that all of those jobs which had to do with fashion whether it was retail whether it was wholesale and other really all led me to where I am today. And the biggest, biggest uh, asset of any learning and understanding at all times in every single part of my career has been about the customer and who the customer is, what women want in their lives and what they look for, what's important to them, quality of products, et cetera. So I mean, I was definitely, you know, went from learning the ropes in various companies, making moves, always being part of companies that were at the time launching businesses or relaunching. Yeah. And I've always gravitated to that. So as you mentioned, I, you know, I'd had various big company roles and I kept moving up the ladder and I was always very goal oriented and it had to do with getting to a certain title at a certain age or whatever else, which was kind of silly, but that was what I was looking for and how I was moving myself throughout my own trajectory. And then I, then I had kids and then I quickly got divorced and I needed to make a change. And my change was something that I needed to be able to have time with my kids and not be traveling in the office until 9 PM every night. And so I created my own entrepreneurial situation, which I then had a business partner. We created uh, some JVs with we had a business that was an entrepreneurial business for six which gave me, which still kept me very much involved in fashion, very much involved in the business and the industry, but gave me a lot more flexibility in terms of my, my work hours and my ability to be home with my kids. And then came back into corporate and then back into the fashion world after my kids started getting into high school and teenage life, which then they're much more capable than they were when they were younger.
0: So, you Is that have, too much. No, no, you, I, I love it. And, and again, I, I have, I happen to have the benefit of knowing the story since, since we had the chat here at Luminary. But so, really, since you packed up and never been to New York before, right? Didn't have, didn't grow up in this, I want to read Vogue and become that designer. You and, and throughout your career, really risk taker, right? You moved to New York, you sort of got these couple of jobs, you've moved around, you become a mom, you then, basically realize you're divorced now have to have to figure it out. You take the leap to becoming an entrepreneur, which not all I think women would particularly do because they want that sense of stability. You really took a big risk, and then after doing that, coming back into the corporate world, now taking on um, the CEO role of an iconic brand, right? I mean, those are all a career of risk taking. I would say
1: you are so right. Thank you for sharing that because
0: you're making me aware of it too. <laughs> right? I mean, unbelievable risk. Like not again, not many people would 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 take that many risks in you know in a 20 year career i mean that's but you know i've always believed
1: about. i've always believed in myself so i never even questioned it i just knew i was going to make it happen each time in every situation i just had a lot of belief in in myself i mean of course i there's roller coaster rides and you know everyday of, of your life there's roller coaster rides Especially as an entrepreneur as you well know but it is, you know, you have to be persistent and you have the faith and I just always believed. So yes, it's it's interesting that I'm still here and still doing <laughs> still doing things that I want. And I think passion drives so much. I have such great passion for building businesses and passion for working with customers and, and really providing products to women that will help their lives.
0: And not everybody would, I think, I think now, you know, talking about, you know, qualities and characteristics that we have as women, and I think men too, but not everybody would say, well, believing in yourself is is something that, that everyone has. You obviously have that. I think it takes that, yes, to be an entrepreneur when you believe in idea, but certainly as you talk about, in the businesses that you've worked in launching and relaunching, right? You really have to not only believe in yourself, but the product and have passion for what you're building.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And when you think about the, the, Taking on the role. And and again, you've, you know, I've talked about this, um, not just believing yourself, others having to believe in you, right? So there was a call that, that someone that you knew a mentor or a former business partner that sort of gave you that call to say, have you thought about DVF? Correct? Is that how I'm remembering it? Right?
1: Yes, somebody that was working with me, his name is Nathan Jenden. He was actually the creative director at DVF for 10 years with Diane when she relaunched the second time. And he was my creative director as well at uh, the company prior to joining DVF. So he and I had worked together. And what do you think when you get this call? Well, he actually got the call to rejoin DVF and Diane. So he essentially ended up coming to resign. <laughs> and at the same time as he was resigning, he said, but you really need to meet Diane. He and I had a very good working relationship and he's extraordinarily talented. And we we really hit it off in, in terms of understanding what the business trajectory could be and, and where we needed to go and how we could get there. So he said, you really need to meet Diane. And I, I've i never really, having my six-year entrepreneurial experience was working with celebrities so I'd spent a lot of time learning and being around celebrities and the celebrity dumb etc and it wasn't that intriguing to me after that point in time so I wasn't really dying to meet a celebrity in terms of fashion but it was like okay at the end of the day after him prodding me about a few months anyhow I came to meet her and it was Really because I thought, all right, well, how many times do you get a chance to meet one of the last remaining American iconic designers? And it's a great opportunity to go and chat. So I came in with absolutely no expectations because he didn't tell me anything about a job either. It was really just to come meet her. And he had worked with her for many years, had, you know, held her in great, in high regard. Mm -hmm. And it was really just to come and meet and have a chat, which that's what I did. And I came in very casual and I (laughs) came and sat down and she was sitting on her sofa, her shoes off, her feet up and, (laughs) you know, very casual conversation that we had that evening, the first evening we met.
0: And then how long after that? Did, did, did it transpire that you were going to take this opportunity?
1: It was two months. So it was actually pretty quick, yeah. I would say, overall. Um, but we had a fast and furious dating, I will say, between conversations in person, phone calls, meeting with various people from her board as well. So it, it happened fairly quickly.
0: And you talk a lot and you talked earlier about this. This really, you know, laser focus on the customer, right? Throughout your whole career, it's been about the customer. Um, and Diane, as as a as a huge DVF fan, and um, from from since I could remember being able to afford one of her dresses, um, she's always been very focused on that customer, which is the woman, right? Making her feel feel powerful, um, accentuating, you know, being feminine and being a woman. So. Clearly, you had that in common just around this 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 intense customer focus
1: yes, for sure for sure but what do you think
0: drives that because there are so many businesses, especially now it's this sort of grow at any cost mentality it's there's a lot around being investor driven and I get that but but clearly, from your background and what you've built, all these different brands that you've worked for, your own company now dvf this 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 focus on the customer sometimes is lost. Why is it so important to you to really always be thinking about the customer?
1: Well, I'll, I'll just speak to Diane and DVF for a moment because Diane was the original influencer before there was ever such a term. Yeah. She was building businesses for women before other women even thought about it. She was talking about women in charge. 45 years ago, when women weren't working the way that they are today, she was the first woman on the cover of the Wall Street Journal and Newsweek and et cetera, selling you know, millions of dresses every single week. And it was always about just simplifying a woman's life. You know, she's a woman. She wanted it. And she always says, you know, she knew the woman. That she wanted to be and she wanted to live a man's life in a woman's body. So this one very simple dress that has absolutely no buttons, no zippers on it, (laughs) that's effortless, that is comfortable because of the fabrication and that is quality that lasts. And, you know, we have we have uh, dresses now that are 45 years in the circular economy still. Um, And that's, that's incredibly impressive. You know, so it was always about thinking about the customer, how do I make something that's super easy, that's really, that's beautiful in terms of color and print, but also that you can wear and feel empowered that you can wear it to in front of a board meeting, or you can wear it on a date, or you can wear it on the weekend with casual flats, you know, and that's really what it what it was and what it still is. So From my standpoint, in terms of being in this industry, I don't know why I would be in this industry if I weren't focused on the customer, because it's not just about putting product out there. I've been with brands that just had a label that really didn't have its own purpose. This brand has a mission. It has a purpose. And so we have this purpose filter about everything now, which is really about the woman in charge. Does it help the woman in her daily life? Does it provide her with you know, just even talking about the, the product, the fabrication, is it packable? Is it light? Does it, when you take it out, do you have to steam it? Like what are all the different attributes of this product that will help a woman when she's getting ready to feel like ready to take on the day?
0: Yeah. And that's, again, you mentioned in charge, right? So I had the opportunity when, uh, to be at the luncheon with you and with Diane and, and others, when you launched the in charge campaign, around this manifesto, um, around women being in charge and you've got a necklace to prove it. I've got a necklace to prove it. Um, you shared a story about the necklace and I was wondering if you would willing, be willing to share it because I, and also talk a little bit about the campaign. It's more than a campaign. This is a movement around women taking charge for themselves and and feeling empowered to be in charge of not only their, their careers, but their lives.
1: Sure. I think it's really important right now because it's something that even I have been learning so much more of while just being in this company now 19 months. So, when I first arrived, she gave me this t shirt. It was right after International Women's Day in 2018. And she gave me a t shirt that said in charge on it. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I don't want to wear something that says in charge when I am in charge. And then she gave me a necklace, which was a gold necklace. And it's in her handwriting, it says in charge. And I also was like, Oh, I can't wear this because I just felt it was a little bit obnoxious for me as the leader to come in and have like an in charge necklace. I honestly didn't understand what in charge meant at the time to Diane and we were selling the necklaces in the store, but people weren't buying them. Mm -hmm. And just fast forward now to, you know, 18 months later, when we've had so much more in terms of Me Too, so many more women's organizations launching such as yours, so many other empowered women who are leading businesses out there across the board and joining board public-facing boards, et cetera, and things have changed so dramatically. Throughout the last 18 months, what I've learned about what In Charge is, it's first and foremost, owning who you are. And that goes to your character, it goes to the type of person that you want to be, and being in charge is really being in charge of your life. It's really not an aggressive in charges and I own you and I can be your boss. It's about being in charge of who you are and the impact that you can leave on others. And it really is about that. And so over the past year and a half, as we keep talking about it every single day, Diane and I, And she's said it for, like I said before, 45 years, it was about making everybody else not only internally, but then starting to do externally understand what she means when she says in charge and who that customer is. And if people asked her, well, who's your customer? She always said, my customer is the woman in charge. And again, in charge is the woman who knows who she Mm -hmm. is, who's confident about who she is. And who will own her mistakes, own her strengths, own her weaknesses, and you know strive every day to be a better person and support other women. And that's what we're here to do. So this In Charge movement, it really is just about spreading the message of what Diane's been trying to say for such a very long time and bringing... People who have access, people who have more of a reach, a broad reach as well, to be able to help us spread that message of supporting other women, of feeling in charge of who you are, of owning your imperfections. As Diane says, one of her best quotes that I love is, "Own your imperfections; they become your assets." Yeah. And I'd never thought about these things until I started working for her and hear them every day, all the time. And sometimes, you know, you take things for granted, and other times, you're like, "Well, wait a minute, that makes so much sense." So now here I am, you know, a year and a half plus later, and I really feel much more of of what the impact is of a woman in charge and how we can help support other women. I see it all the time. And and with this in charge manifesto that she's created, it really is about highlighting women and supporting them. And we have four different pillars. One of them is connect. Connect. Second one is expand, then inspire and advocate. And really what that is, is like helping other women. So making a habit of helping women, connecting them to others that could help change their lives, expanding by letting people come to you that you wouldn't necessarily take a meeting with, but you can maybe help them in their lives as well. Inspiring through sharing your experiences and and having conversations like this, you know, speaker series where you can tell people what you've gone through because it might inspire somebody else who might be going through the same type of journey or something very similar and opening up about your vulnerabilities and strengths as well through all these, stories that we do tell. Um, And then advocating and taking action to things that really matter to us, whatever that is, because there's so many different causes and so many different important causes out there that we can all start to advocate and use our voice more frequently to be able to help make a difference and to make an impact in the world. So all of that is really what In Charge is about and what we're trying to spread the message on.
0: And it really goes right along with what You talking about believing in yourself, right? And having this passion to know that you are going to succeed. You're going to, you know, dust yourself off when you make those mistakes and learn from them all right along with you personally. And what you've been doing in your career, I go back to this idea of risk taking and whether people take one risk in their career or multiple, it's it's a lot of it is taking charge in in their lives, you took charge when you, you know, found yourself with with, um, with your kids and needed to, to kind of provide and and becoming an entrepreneur. What, what was it? What was that moment in your brain? particularly when you took that risk from leaving that the more of a corporate career and saying, I'm now going to try this, this, my hand at, at being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur outside of saying, I know I can do it. And I have a great idea. And I believe in myself. What was that that got you over the hurdle to say, I'm actually going to go through with this?
1: (laughs) Well, I think I had gotten to the point where I knew I just couldn't, do what I was doing any longer with three kids under the age of four. And what I had been doing then was in a corporate setting where I would get back to my office and I'm sure you can <laughs> you know absolutely empathize with this yeah. that I'd get back to my desk at six PM after a day's worth of meetings where some decisions were made but very Very, very frequently, you'd have a lot of meetings where decisions were not made and there were lots of layers, et cetera, et cetera. And then you'd have a full day of work to do at 6 p.m. And I was traveling two days a week. And it just, I knew I couldn't function. I couldn't be successful that way with those three kids under that age. Even though I had a babysitter who was helping me, I didn't foresee that being my kid's future. Right. So that was really more than anything else. It was just, an absolute belief that my kids would be better off with me making that decision and that choice. And I, I had a very acrimonious divorce. So that also was part of it where I knew that I was their best relationship and I was the person that was going to make things matter in their lives.
0: And so making that choice, it was, it was really just, you had to do it. There was, there was not really another option if you wanted to, to raise them in that way, at least like you said, until they were, of age where they, they were taking care of themselves a little bit more.
1: Right. Right.
0: And what, what made the decision again to sort of, you were doing that for a few years and then went back. I know you, you had like, you were talking about working with celebrities and you had a very cool company too.
1: Yeah. So we had, we had Selena Gomez for six years that we created a brand for, and she was 15 years old when we approached her and her family through her agent. and, we she over that five five year time period and the, going into the sixth year she had obviously she evolved a lot in terms of her age and also the different projects that she wanted to work on and what really actually had enforced our change was because we had had a very very stable hundred million dollar plus business with her with the company that that we were creating and it was when she made a choice to change. From, and move away from her family as her managers and her agents into a different mm-hmm. realm. It was really forcing us to make a different change. And while we tried to create something new for her and we wanted to continue to take her down a different path, that wasn't the choice that they had all wanted to make. They wanted to, to change her her future and change her direction. So it really forced us to kind of look in the mirror and say, okay, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to do this with somebody else? Or is it time to kind of go back? And after six years Of being an entrepreneur, I was like, you know what? I think I'll go back and get a little bit more corporate support, (laughs) (laughs) infrastructure, services, infrastructure, you know, all of that. (laughs) Oh, I do know now. Um, Yeah,
0: but there's a
1: time and a place for everything. And I had, you know, I I think when I got to the point where I was like, okay, I've had enough of the corporate life where I know I can't succeed this way with my kids and my own personal situation. And then I've been like, okay, I've had a lot of this entrepreneurial. Maybe it's time now to have a little bit more uh, of, a, of a corporate backing again.
0: Yeah, and then now let's talk a little bit about DVS. So 45-year-old brand, um, retail has changed dramatically and it continues to, to evolve, especially, obviously, online. And um, so what's it been like leading this brand for 19 months? I know you've, you've, you've said it's almost like working at a startup because you're really creating almost a blank slate to sort of take it into into the next um into the next evolution of what it is today
1: yes and it definitely is you know coming into dbf after so many different years this this company's had a lot of different change in it in the past eight years and having been around you know we are now in a very different time of, of retail where e retail has evolved versus when she first relaunched her business in early 2000s and Now, when you look at the business, there's so many different competitors. It's a very saturated marketplace. If you look at different companies out there, Diane, obviously, was the first one with the wrap, but everyone does a wrap dress Yeah. She was one of the first ones that that designed prints. Everyone does prints now. So there's a lot of competition. Um, There was no fast fashion back in the early 2000s. And now fast fashion has been everywhere, even though things are changing, but still it has been everywhere. Influencers, social media, none of that existed. So it's a very, very different marketplace today. So what we've had to really do is look at this organization and say, you know, what is the purpose? What? are we and would we be if Diane von Furstenberg were starting her business today? And I firmly believe that if she were starting her business today, it would be always about this purpose-driven organization that is about helping women feel empowered and in charge. And doing that and, and having that purpose filter in everything we do is the most important thing that we've had to try to impact as it relates to our transformation. You know, I hear story after story after story of women who have, I mean, there's one woman actually we saw recently in Chicago who wears and has worn a DVF wrap dress every day that she has been working since her early 20s, her first job, and she's in her mid 40s and has an advertising agency. Wow. She has hundreds of DVF dresses. We have women who talk about wearing their grandmother's dress, their mother's dress. You know, it's an intergenerational type of brand. It is timeless. We call ourselves the smart luxury brand for the woman in charge, you know, and this is, it's a timeless brand. So we've had to look at that and say, how are we going to transform this business to where retail has changed? It's not just about this brand, but what are we doing today in terms of entertaining the customer in terms of providing her with knowledge and information and giving her all the tools that she needs to be able to engage and to network and to help improve her life. And so we are more than just a clothing brand. We're more than we're that because we have so much meaning for people. And mm-hmm. some of the quotes and the testimonials that I that I share are really about women who feel so in charge of the minute they put a wrap dress on. And I hear it from people who are young in their twenties who say I've invested or I saved up for my wrap dress for an interview or, you know, women who are executives going in front of a board wearing a wrap dress. So it's it's very It's very intergenerational, but it's also very much of an empowering type of dress. And I say the wrap dress because that's obviously what we stand for. And that's our our biggest product that we continue to make. So we're combining the values of the brand with what today's retail is, which is essentially entertaining and providing content along with digital experiences. So all of that is what we are focused on doing to make it a more modern and relevant brand again think that the product and diane have never been certainly diane has never been more relevant because she's doing so much and continues to be so relevant and she's so authentic and it is what we do and it's not just a marketing and advertising campaign it's what we do and it's who we are as a company so forging those things and making sure that that people see that for what it is that's how that's what we're focused on that's how we're doing you know, yeah business. and I
0: think it, the the content component is this idea and I think it goes right along with in charge with the campaign is the storytelling right it's it's storytelling about the company and the brand but it's it's the stories that come from all of these loyal customers that have been wearing their DVF for years i mean i told that story at the luncheon I've been wearing DVF for years, and um, I remember after my first, unfortunately, unsuccessful round of IVF, you don't feel great. You feel bloated and everything, and I had to go back to work, you know, two days later, and I threw on my DVF wrap dress, and I had to do a big presentation, and I felt great because, you know, it, it, it just made me feel empowered, even though what was going on, and so I think there are the ones that, like you said, wear every single day, and there are those that have these unbelievable moments in their life where they remember when they wear it or, or they wear it again on a consistent basis. But, um, right. But the content, I, yeah, you know, I think the content that what you're doing, I mean, you guys launched a few months ago, the weekly wrap, yes, right? We did. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure.
1: So part of our content journey is really about providing and sharing more experiences and, and more newsworthy uh, information that's important to us as a brand in terms of what we look at. So we we don't have a blog and haven't had a blog. And I wanted to find a way that we could actually get some content to share. And we partnered with a young woman whose name is Daniela Pearson and her company is called The Newsette. We partnered with them to come in and to really create content for us on a weekly basis that is shared across the globe, that is across industries that isn't specific to fashion, but that also highlights what we do on a daily basis. So they might be things in terms of Diane's travel agenda, or her sharing some cultural tips, or it might be, you know, things that have to do with the medical industry, we feature different women in charge every week. And it's, it's something that we are doing because that's what we believe in anyway. And these, the women that we highlight and feature, but also the news that we are talking to, it's important for us as a brand. So then we just wanted to be able to share that. And the that actually has about half a million subscribers and they're mostly millennial millennial audience. And for us... Um, It wasn't really about getting a millennial audience at all, because like like I said, we are very intergenerational, whether you go to Shanghai or Paris or London or New York, we get women that are in their 20s and we get women that are in their 40s and 50s. So it doesn't matter. But they really are able to capture a more modern way of speaking to the audience. And we wanted to be something very quick, very light and being able to you know, we're not creating a, a New York Times newspaper, but we wanted to be able to create something very quick.
0: I'm a, I'm, a, I'm actually a subscriber and have been for a while to the Newset so I love their content. How do you find and where do you find the weekly wrap?
1: So their team actually creates all the content and then they'll come to us to be able to get it vetted and make sure that it fits within the brand and, and daniela and diane speak very regularly as well because diane has always has a lot of great ideas and wants to be able to incorporate certain parts every week and so she'll work with the team across the board as it relates to our e team and if they want if there's something there that they feel has been important from a product standpoint because people have wanted product we started out with not pushing very much product and then we, we got sure. we got word from a lot of the audience that they wanted to see product as well so we've been putting more product on there so she'll work across the various teams here
0: and it's online and in print correct? it is
1: it's online and we do it in print actually on a quarterly basis and the quarterly one that we do this one for december actually is going to be about giving and it has a lot to do with philanthropy and sharing and giving back so each quarterly issue that we print will also have a bigger much bigger message the one in September oh, was all about being in charge and, and the luncheon that we just talked about.
0: Yes, you actually featured in the September one uh, uh, another another founder that we we we've had um, who's a member here. But um, Michelle Cordero Grant, who's the founder of Lively. So um, she didn't even know that you guys had featured her. And when I was at the luncheon and I had picked up a copy of the weekly Wrap, I said, do you, do you know you're in this? <laughs> um, <laughs> So you your um, Diane and Sandra are actually coming back to Luminary in January. So you'll have to bring a bunch of those so we can put them out on the space, just like we have the In Charge Manifesto. We will. Um, um, so um, I'm going to ask you two more questions. Um, but as a, a working mom and uh, someone who is raising and rem- remind you have two daughters and a son, correct? Exactly. Um, what what are you talking to them about these days? About women in power? Does it even matter to this generation? Um, how do you see your son looking at, you know, working women in power and sort of all of the messages that we're talking about as um, as strong women and, and taking being in charge of
1: ourselves? Well, this is where I think that it's very interesting because there's certain discussion topics that my generation, your generation, and maybe, you know, I don't know which other ones, but it's certainly older generations that we actually have to talk about such as this. But then there's the younger generation Z, which my kids are all part of. That they're just looking at it going, like, why is this even a conversation? My son's like, of course women are empowered. Like, why would they be any different? I would never look at it any differently. So it's very interesting. My son is 17, and that's what, you know, he just looks at it and says, like, why would it be any different? Of course, they're you know, we're all equal. And my 16-year-old daughter also is like, well, why would it be any different? I'm, of course, I'm as strong and as equal as a guy is. And my 20-year-old, who is now in her second year in college, is very much um, about women and promoting women and advancing women, but much more. And yeah, I think she, I would say anything else, she probably is is focused on working hard to make sure that she's cementing herself as a hardworking, advancing female. But not to the degree that different our generations are talking about it. You know, I think it's just part of their nature, just like social media is part of their nature. You know, just like technology is something that they have grown up with since they were very little. It's not something new. They don't have to talk about it.
0: (laughs) Which is, you know, it's so important as we think about sort of the next, you know, 40, 50, 60 years around this next generation of leaders and hoping that it becomes just know part of of what they do versus making it such a huge deal i think i'm gen x and that's something that we've had to and certainly the baby boomers and before us have had to to kind of fight against and 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 demand those seats at the table and 50 percent um you know quality and pay parity hopefully this you know the, the younger millennials and certainly the gen z will will propel that
1: forward. That's what we hope. Well, and um, I but think they're, yeah, hear. they're, they're the ones that are launching the conversations. And I think when, you know, th- this is again, just another quick example, when that we're sitting in college and they're in college today, they're the ones that are teaching the professors from a different generation that they can't call on a guy and make, you know, make it be the, the guy might know something that a girl wouldn't know, you know, and, right. and that's, that's the interesting part of it is that they're not accepting it and they're talking about it. But they're the ones that are actually raising that to the other generations that are then supposed to be teaching them. So I, I just find it a very interesting time right now. But it kind of goes in the same for diversity, which is a very big conversation in schools. And obviously, teachers spend a lot of in administration, spend a lot of time talking about that with students. But for them, they're like, well, why would it be any different? Of course, it doesn't matter who you are, what color you are, what anything you are. You know, and it's my kids have grown up in New York City. So it's a it's also very different more conversation, yes, yeah. more urban environment, different yeah. conversation. But to them, it's like, well, why would it be any different? So I think these are very interesting times to see how this young generation is going to help propel all of this impact and change. You know, if you look at Greta Thunberg, obviously, is another yeah. one just as it relates to climate activation. But they they really are advocating and they are gathering together this generation to really impact and make change. But they're telling us, pay attention. <laughs> yeah and and and
0: so much younger than and than we ever were able to a lot of that because of the uh, the um the opportunity for technology and social media which again is is terrific hopefully they'll that will they'll all come out in force when uh for the next election right cuz we need we need voters too right so, no doubt um, Okay, so I, I know you have a busy day. I'm not gonna keep you, but I have one more question we always ask every one of our guests, both in person and on the podcast, but um
1: who is one of your luminaries? I have two that I think about often. One obviously now in the last 19 months has been Diamond Furstenberg, and she is the most innovative modern thinker and someone who is so inspiring every day. So that is certainly someone that I like to emulate. And then the second one is Mindy Grossman, who I worked with many, many years ago. But she has left a lasting mark on me from a career standpoint because she was also a risk taker and continues to be and innovative and thinking outside the box. And I I want to always continue that in my own career to be able to really take and focus on what's happening in culture and again, focus on the customer and making sure that whatever I do is, is providing some sort of a positive change and positive impact. Well, clearly you're doing it
0: and we're excited to see how DVF evolves and everything that you're doing. And want to thank you again for being a friend to luminary for supporting us certainly for being on the podcast and we will see you and diane in our speaker
1: series in january thanks so much kate thanks have a great day thank you
0: thanks bye-bye